morning, everyone. We're taking our journey through a life that we've come to know as the miraculous. And you came to know Jesus, it was a miracle. Just by your mere conversion and choice to follow the Lord, and your life changed. It was never the same. Isn't that right? Huh? Boy, we remember life before Christ. And now we remember life with Christ. And uh, it's always miraculous. Started last Sunday on, the, on, of course, the resurrection. The resurrection that opened the door for all of us to experience the miraculous. To experience the power of the message of the gospel in all its forms, in all its ways. So today we're uh, going to jump into a few words that we find in Romans. We're going through Romans, the book of Romans, and the book of Romans is rich. Rich with the words of a miraculous life. And so the first word we're looking at today, a word that we will be familiar with for some of us, and yet maybe we'll get a little expanded today on this word, redemption, redemption, or redeemed. We are redeemed. That's who you are. You've been redeemed. But really, what does that really entail? What does that mean? So there's a phrase there, and this could be the title today because it's based on one of the little stories in the message Redemption is, you are twice mine. You are twice mine. So, what does that say? Well, that means I had you, and then I lost you. And then I regained you. And now you're mine again, but this time, I'm not losing you. This time, you're mine forever. So, redemption speaks to us of, you are twice Mine. I did it twice. Romans, the scripture in Romans, a lot of our scriptures will be in Romans. I do step out of that boundary a little bit. Might, uh, for emphasis of certain things that Romans says, I want to amplify it a little bit. But Romans chapter 3, verse 22 to 24, the NIV says this. This righteousness... What does he mean, righteousness? His righteousness, God's righteousness. By the way, he's the only righteous one. Is given through faith in Jesus Christ to only a few. Okay, I'm, I'm, check, I'm checking you. You with me? To all. To all who believe. There's no difference between Jew and Gentile. That for all have sinned, all of us have sinned, all of us have come up short, all of us have been lost, all of us have been separated from God. We've fallen short of the glory of God. And all are justified freely by his grace, which we're going to talk about that one next week, of that word justified. Whoa, man, I'm telling you that's a... That's a powerful one right there. 
justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. So if I were to define, there's all kinds of different ways to define redemption, but one of the basic definitions, it's an action. It's an action of regaining possession of something in exchange for payment. In other words, it's in, in debt. Payment, in simple terms, it means to buy back. It's a, it's, a, it's a form of a transaction, right? It's a business. It was really a kind of a business uh, definition. And yet, do you realize in the book of Job, Job, perhaps way before the patriarchs, 3,400 years ago, it could be estimated that 3,400 years before, it was in the book of Job. It was the testimony of Job. It was the declaration of suffering, suffering Job. In Job 19, 23 to 25, it's not on the slide, he says this, Oh, that my words were recorded. Have you ever said that? Man, this one needs to be recorded. I've got something to say. He said that they were written on a scroll, that they were inscribed with an iron tool on lead or engraved in rock forever. My words. And then he says this, I know that my Redeemer lives. How prophetic was that? Job in all his suffering. Let all my words be recorded, but listen to this. I know my, he knew, he, he believed in the goodness of God, the goodness of God that he would be redeemed. And he was, he was. And that in the end, he said, I know my redeemer lives and that in the end, he will stand on the earth. His Redeemer will stand on the earth. So let's, uh, let's look at a few more things of what is meant by Redeemer or redemption. It's really justific justification, which we're going to talk about next week, is more of a judicial or a legal term that you hear in a courtroom. But redemption was actually a marketplace term. That's where you would hear redeeming something, buying something, buying something back. It means to buy back, to purchase something that has been temporarily forfeited. It means to set free because it was also used in the context of slaves. And that's really probably the bottom line of where it was drawn from when the Bible was written in various cultures of that day that when you thought of the word redeemed, it was put in the context of the business of slavery. And I know that's not comfortable for us to talk about today. But nevertheless, this is what our God did for us. Because we were slaves. To set free, to liberate, to setting a slave free from slavery, to deliver from some great danger, it also means to deliver from some great danger. 
That's why Job would say, I know who my Redeemer is. I know my Redeemer lives. He's going to deliver me. Just like the children of Israel were delivered out of slavery, out of Egypt, right? I'm going to give you a story uh, that I picked up. I actually, some of you may know this name, some of you may not know this name. But there is a Bible teacher that was on the radio for years and years and years, and he walked through the Bible. Verse by verse, he taught the Bible. He was Vernon McGee. And if you start to listen to him, you might be a little turned off at first, like, who is this country bumpkin? And yet, man, I'm telling you, that guy could do the Bible. Well, he's got a story about redemption, and I'm going to use it. And it's a little, I'm going to, I'm not going to lie to you, it's a little dark, a little hard to listen to, but hang in there with me, because really, this is the, this is the core of our redemption, where we were and what we've been redeemed from. I want your mind to go back. Let's, he, he says this. Let your mind, your imagination go back for a moment. Let's picture this thing about 150 years to the days before, before the Civil War. Imagine you're visiting one of the great cities of the South, like Savannah, Atlanta, Burlingham, Jackson, or New Orleans. As you approach the center of the town, you hear a commotion as the crowd gathers for a public auction and you gather round to observe the proceedings. The first thing you notice in the crowd is an uncouth, foul-mouthed, loud, boisterous man. He could have said white man because it probably is. Who you know by reputation only as the meanest, the cruelest, the most hateful man around. You also notice in the crowd another man who stands out for his dignity, his genteel mannerisms, and soft-spoken tone. And you recognize him also by reputation as the most kind, gentle, and gracious man. Both men Along with the crowd, they wait for the auction to begin. Finally, the auctioneer steps to the podium and begins rattling his words as the first item to be sold is bought, brought to the auction block. There before you is a beautiful young black girl. She's about 20 years of age. Her dress is old and torn, but remarkably clean. She is obviously filled with anxiety and fear as the bidding begins. From the outset, the loud, obnoxious man seemed to have his evil eyes set on this lovely, innocent young lady. She obviously knew of his reputation, and she cringed in fear as he opened the bidding. When the kind gentleman saw her fear, he too placed a bid. 
Soon only these two men were involved in the bidding as the price of the girl rose higher and higher. Finally, the evil man bowed out of the bidding when realized that the price of the girl was more than he was willing to pay. When the auctioneer closed the bidding, the kind gentleman paid the price for his purchase. He was handed the bill of sale and he turned to leave. The young girl started to follow her new master. He turned to her and asked, where are you going? Why, I'm going with you, she responded. You bought me, and I belong to you. Oh, you misunderstood. You misunderstood, young lady. The man said, I didn't buy you to make you my slave. I bought you to set you free. Then he took the bill of sale and he wrote across in big block letters, free. He signed his name and he gave it to the girl. I don't understand, the girl said. You mean I am free? Yes, you are free. I can go wherever I want to and do as I please? Exactly. You are free. Mister, I don't know who you are, but no one has ever so shown such love and kindness to me. If I am free to do as I please, nothing would please me more than to go with you and serve you till the day I die. And that day she went home with Abraham Lincoln, not as his slave, but as his willing servant. Now, I'll stop us right there. I have to qualify it. Nobody knows if this story is true, that it was Abraham Lincoln. Nobody knows. It might be just an allegory, but this illustrates, this illustrates beautifully the perfect doctrine of redemption that our God did for us. The story of our slavery, our slavery to Satan, Satan and the world and sin, the cruel intentions of the enemy to our soul, and yet his gracious purchase at an incredible price, and of course, the price of Jesus, not to make us his slave, but to set us free. So how could we? <laughs> how could we respond? How, how could we respond in any other way if we understand the gravity, the greatness of what he's really done for us? How could we respond any other way except I will serve you for the rest of my days, with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my strength, forever, I will be indebted to you. 
So I, I, I was a little curious. So I, I kind of did a little research. I looked up that story, and it's, you know, there's no proof it was a true story with Abraham Lincoln. But then you find out Lincoln's, Abraham Lincoln's career and legacy. There actually was a young lady that he advocated as a lawyer for her freedom. Like 20 years, 20 years before the Civil War, before the Emancipation of Proclamation, before any of that, in Lincoln's younger lawyer days, he, there's a lady in history by the name of Nance Legans Costley. That's her name. She appealed to the Supreme Court because she was in the state of Illinois, and so was Lincoln. And in the state of Illinois, there wasn't supposed to be slavery. In writing, there was no slavery. But nevertheless, there were slaves. And she was slaved, and yet she was going to court to win her freedom. She went to the Supreme Court three times, and she goes down in history as the first black woman that was freed by Abraham Lincoln. And now they're beginning to tell her story. They found out that her grave was underneath a parking lot, a modern-day parking lot in, the city, in a city in Illinois. And uh, so now they're resurrecting that. Beautiful. Beautiful. So if we're looking at redemption, you could go home right now and know fully convinced that we are so indebted and grateful for what redemption means to us from our God. The miraculous redemption of Jesus. The miraculous redemption of Jesus means this. Number one, he miraculously brought us back. He brought us back to be his own again. I read to you Romans 3.23, all have sinned. All have been lost, all are separated. I mean, it happened in the very beginning, as old as Adam and Eve, right? In the beginning, God was with man, and man was with God. Man, male and female, was with God walked with God, talked with God, in fellowship with God, and man was given full authority over the earth. He was given relationship with God, and he was given rulership over everything. And yet it was lost. Sin came into the world, the tempter came, the devil came, and it was all lost. So relationship and rulership was lost. But through Jesus Christ, it's all restored. Not just relationship, but rulership in the kingdom above every other kingdom, the kingdom of God. I can give you, I'll give you another little story that's a little better, a little lighter. We can breathe a little bit. There's a little boy that was received a, this is kind of a little Sunday school story. This is a little boy that received this wonderful 
sailboat. He made this sailboat. He created this sailboat. He put the sailboat out on the lake and he loved watching it sail. But one day it began to sail away a little too far. And he got out of his reach and he lost it. He lost the boat. Not he missed the boat. Well, he missed the boat, but he lost the boat. And of course, he, he grieved over the loss of the boat until and waited, waited, and waited. And one day, he was at a store, and in, a, in the window of the store, there was his boat. That's my boat. So he goes in, and he goes, that's my boat. Sir, that's my boat. And the guy said, well, somebody brought it in, and if you want your boat, you have to buy it now. So the little boy, of course, he tried to put together some monies and he paid a great price and sacrifice for that little boy to create enough funds to do that. And then he bought the boat. The little boy had the boat and the story closes like this and it says, the little boy realized, first I made you and now I bought you. That's another way of saying it. That's why the message is, <laughs> you are twice mine. For that little boy, that's what he said. You are twice mine. First I created you, made you, and now I bought you. Romans 3, 24 and 25, they are now justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ whom God put forward as a sacrifice of atonement by his blood. Through, effective through faith. He did this to show his righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over the sins previously committed. I do need to, this is probably where I'll divert a little bit from Romans, but because I want to emphasize the fact that the high price was God's own blood. It was God's own blood. You say it was Jesus' blood. Well, there's not a separation here. If anything, biologically, they'll tell you that the blood comes from the Father. Even in our own biology. So when Jesus was born and he had the blood flowing through his veins, it was the Father. In 1 Peter, Peter understood this revelation. He wrote in his book in chapter 1, he said, you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life? That's another word for redemption. There was a ransom. There was a price being held. You inherited from your ancestors. And it was not paid with mere gold or silver, which lose their value. It was the precious blood of Christ. The sinless, spotless Lamb of God. God chose him as your ransom long before the world began. But now, in these days, he has been revealed for your sake. God himself. No one else could pay the price. 
No one else could pay the price. There's kind of a story, scary story and illustration of what goes on in China. Apparently in China, there is something that's legal. In China, it's where the extremely wealthy, they can avoid prison terms. Criminals can avoid prison terms by hiring body doubles. I'm not lying. Incredibly, this, this is true. Slate.com originally broke the story of how the super rich in China get away with pretty much everything, including murder. According to Slate, a wealthy 20-year-old named Hu, I don't know if I'm saying that right, it's H-U, Hugh, was, was drag racing his friends when he struck and killed a pedestrian. Although Hugh received a three-year prison sentence, allegations arose that the man appearing in court and serving the three-year sentence wasn't Hugh at all, but a hired double, a hired body double. In China, the practice is so common that there's even a term for it, and they call it substitute criminal. Now, I need to qualify this illustration because, to be honest with you, when I read it, I didn't like it. Because that's not our Jesus. He is not a criminal imposter. He's not a criminal substitute. And I know that word substitute has been used a lot. And I would just like to take it out of the, the vocabulary. He is not a fully, in the full, def, in this definition, not a substitute. He was the real deal. He was a criminal. Because he took it all on. He took everything. As we learned a little bit last week, his death was miraculous. One of the reasons his death was miraculous is he took every one of your sins and he didn't, he didn't do it for hire. That's why I don't like it too. This is not a job to do for hire. He wasn't a hireling. He was really the true good shepherd that laid his life down willingly and voluntarily and fully, totally. This was not a business deal transaction. Jesus was not our substitute criminal. Look at John 10. Remember John 10? John 10 speaks of our shepherd, that he's the good shepherd. And he lays down his life for the sheep. And Jesus said, it's the hired hand who is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. He sees the wolf coming and leaves. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. So it was really Jesus who took everything for us, for our redemption. He was payment in full. 
Secondly, redemption means through Jesus, your debt has been miraculously canceled. It means a release from blame or debt. Having a debt completely canceled. Colossians 2, verse 14, he canceled out every legal violation we had on our record. And the old arrest warrant that stood to indict us, he erased it. All our sins, our stained soul, he deleted it all, and they cannot, they cannot be retrieved. That's what the Passion Translation says of this. Everything we once were in Adam has been placed onto his cross and nailed permanently there as a public display of cancellation. They literally did this. I know, you probably have heard, heard a lot of this, but, you know, to remind ourselves that back in the Roman days in the crucifixion, that's exactly what they did. They took every offense, whatever this guy was guilty of, and they would write it and put it on a, a scroll of hide or, you know, whatever, an animal skin. They would, it would all be written there. And then they would put it actually on the cross of crucifixion. So anyone who can watch him hanging on the cross, there he is crucified, and you walk by and you go, wow, I wonder what this guy did. You could walk up there and read all of the offenses, all of the violations. For Jesus, you know, of course, they put a short list. But the truth of it is, in God's eyes, Jesus was on the cross for every single sin against him and him alone. Not against mankind. Not against the world. Not against anything. This was offense against God himself with every single sin that entered into the world in the beginning when Adam and Eve first sinned. Every sin. I mean, what would your list look like? You go, oh, uh, my list wouldn't be that long. My list wouldn't be that long. I got news for you. We all share the same list. You don't have your private list. You don't have your personal list. God says, these are all yours. How do we know that? Because we get the, <laughs> get the teaching of Jesus said, if you've broken one, you've broken all. You're guilty of not the one you broke, but you're guilty of all. So you see why the payment had to be pretty big. Because it wouldn't be, if it was just one sin, he paid for one sin. This is what Colossians is talking about. He, says, he took the handwriting, the handwriting of requirements, the handwriting of offense, and it, he put it 
on the cross. The, the cross, when God the Father saw the cross, he saw every single offense. He didn't need a piece of paper to recite them for him. He already knew what they were standing for. And he took them all. He canceled it all. When we get into justification, it's a cancellation as if you had never sinned. And thirdly, you are miraculously set free from sin. Let me qualify that. From sin, that is the point, from sin. But we probably need to emphasize it's the power of sin. Because I don't want it to imply that you're gonna, you, you don't sin anymore. But you have been delivered from it. It's already set in stone. It's already set in the cross. Full freedom. Full freedom. Total payment for all of your sins. You have been set free from the... You were that slave girl. You were that slave girl and he came along and said, I bought you in full. And I bought you so you can be free. So you can be free. So you're no longer a slave. You know, they, a slave couldn't redeem a slave. It did take a free man to redeem. It took a free man, an innocent man, totally free totally pure and look through the whole earth could you find one and Romans says nope we can't find one there's no one no one who's good enough so the father says my son my son will be good enough and he will redeem I will give him I will give my son to redeem the world. So all of saying all of that, may we renew in our heart the joy, the joy and the gratefulness and the depth of how we are and have been and are redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. the blood of the lamb. May that be perhaps part of our testimony when it says in Revelation, they overcame. They overcame by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. What would be our testimony? Job's testimony was, my redeemer lives. May my words be recorded. My Redeemer lives, and He will stand in that last time. Hallelujah. You're redeemed. You remember that the next time the enemy wants to taunt you a little bit. Or we get a little melancholy about how we're not 
measuring up to something or whatever it is. In Christ, in Christ, you are free. In Christ. In Christ, boy, I don't know if you can grab this one. In Christ, you are perfect. That's the way he sees you. That's the way he sees you. It's kind of a funny thing. I'm, it's just so much deeper than our natural relationship with our sons and daughters. That's where we get tripped up because I think, I can never say my son is perfect. I can never say my daughter is perfect. They're mine. I love them. Nothing will change that. There's nothing they can do or not do that will ever change my love and my, my relationship with them. Nothing. You know why? Because only God can declare you're perfect. You can't do it because you weren't meant to do it. God is the one. And I want to argue with him. But we just don't get it. I know, that's a heavy one. But I live with it too. <laughs> but it's all going to work out. And on the other side, you're going to look back and go, oh, man. Let's go to prayer. Father, we come. We stop. We pause. Father, we know this stuff doesn't come simply by hearing, but it comes by revelation. Your word is received not just with hearing, but with revelation. I pray, Lord, that you would begin to move into our understanding, even our lack of understanding. May you go deeper into our hearts to receive the gospel, the good news that we are fully redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Everything, everything took place at the cross. If there's anyone here or anyone watching online, you've stepped into the church, you've stepped into a message, you're hearing things that... I want you to know that you can receive Jesus as your redeemer. Whatever you're going through, Jesus died for your sins. He redeemed you from your sins. But yet, at the same time, we must receive. We must receive. That's all we have to do. By faith, we say yes to the Lord. We receive him into our life.
So Lord, I pray for those that are watching online, those that are hearing my voice. May you draw us into a closer walk with you, a closer relationship. Lord Jesus, I ask you to come into my life. I ask you to be the Lord and the Savior of my life. I don't want to walk alone anymore. I ask you to forgive me of my sins. Cancel the debt. Cancel all my debts of sin and trespasses. Wash me clean. Make me pure. Make me clean. Have your way. Let me be born again of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to our Gateway Sermon Podcast at our Gateway City Church, Clovis Campus. We'll be releasing a new episode every week, so be sure to subscribe so you don't miss out. Gateway City Church is one church that meets in multiple cities. To find us or to learn more, visit mygatewaycity.church. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you right here next week.